0: some guy running around who was dead and now he's alive. Sad part of the story is he has to die again. But that's okay because, I don't know, if I experienced that kind of a thing in my life, I'd probably be going on with a measure of faith, yeah? Wouldn't you? <laughs> I was dead but now I'm alive because someone threw my body in with Elisha. Just messes with your head. And I want to pick up actually on... A similar story, in fact, today. I mean, Resurrection Sunday, we talk about the tomb. It's pretty common, yeah? We talk about an empty tomb. But the thing is, before there's an empty tomb, there's actually one with a body in it. And um, and as, as I've been um, just reading through Scripture and pondering the whole story myself in these last um, couple of weeks, something really I shared it a little bit with um, the guys who were together for our worship practice on Wednesday night, and I was like, you know what, I'm still in this kind of place where I don't entirely know what to make of it all, but it was just really stirring in my heart. And uh, But before I get to it, I want to actually backtrack a little bit in, in Scripture. So um, two weeks ago, we had our Palm Sunday. We sort of cheated and took it early because um, our whole schedule last Sunday in Lifeway was uh, very disrupted by the fact that <laughs> David and Caroline had a son getting married, So, which went uh, fantastic. It was a great day, Gl- absolute glory to God sort of event. So thank you for your understanding that we didn't actually have a normal Sunday gathering last Sunday. But we didn't miss out on Palm Sunday. And Brooke shared a fantastic uh, word with us that really... Got to the heart of God's desire for us to be reconciled to Him, His invitation. Yeah, <laughs> you love that. Um, it's cool. I love that. There's there's a real honouring of people here in this uh, amongst us. It's good. But the thing is, after Palm Sunday, there was a week that Jesus spent in and around Jerusalem, so they'd had this massive celebration of welcoming who they believed to be the Messiah, rightly but wrongly. (laughs) They got the label right, they got the function very wrong. Um, And during that week, it was a really intense time, and and we read, um, for example, in Matthew 23 where Jesus had this one moment where he absolutely went on a tirade against the religious leaders of the nation. And, and it's literally, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. It's literally, it was like a, a cursing term where it's like this, you know, woe to you is like, you are cursed because of this. You are cursed because of this. You are cursed because of this. And one of them, he says, um, sort of towards the end, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. They're venerating people they considered to be righteous, maybe in the hopes that they could get some bone to bone with them. You know, a little bit idolatrous even, isn't it, when they start to go down that path, not recognising who it is that actually is the life. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. You know, how good we are at self-justification, like... Oh, if I was there, I wouldn't have crucified Jesus. I wouldn't have been one shouting, crucify him, crucify him. You know, we're pretty good at justifying ourselves. Well, Jesus is calling him out on it because that's the attitude. I would never have done that. But here's his response. But in doing so, you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Descendants, not just in DNA, but descendants spiritually. They carried the same ugly rejection of God. And and so he finishes that little bit. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. It's heavy, isn't it? And they did exactly that. Within a matter of days, they crucified him. And we remembered that. We took time on Friday, as as we do in our Christian calendar, as we did just a moment ago, as we reflect every time we share together. As Paul said, every time you do this, you celebrate the Lord's death until he comes. We remember... And so I just want to pick out that bit about the tombs. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. There's something going on there amongst the people at this time. And so let's fast forward again to Jesus hanging on a cross, having been beaten, tortured, tortured. Ripped to shreds with the Roman whips, nailed to the cross, and hung up in public humiliation. Matthew 27. We won't go through the whole thing, obviously, but we haven't got time. Because I just—I actually want to be quite quick uh, this afternoon. I don't want to have my voice talking for a long time. I actually want to hear yours. So if that makes you nervous, that's okay. Just ask God. If you've got something for me to share, let me know. But Matthew 27, starting at verse 50, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks split And the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. I love the synergy that God gives us sometimes, where it's just like, it seems like what He's he's just drawing our attention to something. Many holy people were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. This is a story that does my head in a bit. Because Matthew doesn't give much of a clue of what's going on there. I don't know, maybe he didn't know. It's just like, this is such an extraordinary event. I just feel I need to write it in. I need to include it. None of the other gospel authors do. It's only Matthew. But here's the thing. It actually resonated deeply with me, I think, following um, the last message I gave a few weeks back. Who were these holy people? I think probably we can assume that they were the, the prophets and you know, I mean, it says many righteous people, probably the same ones that have been venerated, having their tombs decorated, and God just said, well, I'm going to mess those up. And instead, they came out of their tombs. The timing is even a bit foggy there, like somewhere between Friday when the earthquake happened and Sunday morning when Jesus was re- resurrected Then they went into town. Maybe, I don't know, in between is a Sabbath. Perhaps people just were just chilling that day. They weren't doing much. Like, you couldn't walk very far on a Sabbath and all that. But my my brain starts to go, "What, what did they do? You know, I start to think, who were they? Maybe they were people like... Simeon, who was a prophet in the temple at Jesus' birth, who said, my eyes have seen the deliverance of Israel. Now I can die in peace. Perhaps he came up and said, I told you. Anna, who at the same time blessed Mary. Perhaps John the Baptist, who'd been executed not long before all going into the town. What do you think they were doing? I reckon they were telling about Jesus, about his resurrection, saying, guess what, Messiah has come. I reckon there was such a response at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit because, like, can you imagine many holy people going throughout the city? It wasn't that big of a city. I reckon that rumour would have gone around. People would have been like, what on earth is <laughs> going on. There are so many things going on at this period of time. It's just, oh, wouldn't you love to be there, like to experience it? It's crazy. But I have no doubt that they testified to Jesus' resurrection, because just like all those that Jesus had spoken about, and and further down in that same passage in Matthew 23, he actually says, I will keep on sending you. Messengers and prophets to keep telling you, and you will keep on killing them. You will keep on imprisoning them. You'll keep on persecuting them. He actually says it. We don't know what happened to these people. I I kind of feel like they were probably just like Lazarus and and just like the body that was thrown in with Elisha. They would have been restored for a time, but Jesus is the first fruits of the true resurrection. Never to die again. The rest of us well, Hebrew says that it is what's the wording I have a mental blank, the exact wording it, but basically, it is man's lot to die once and after that to face judgment. We can't skirt that bit. This body I'm actually quite happy that this one will, you know, be let go. Planted in the ground, pick the metaphor that you want, because the new one will be that much better. Yeah? Well, he was the same as Moses at his appearing. Moses died. So he was transformed. He was transformed. No matter which way you cut it, you know, it's like what Paul says, those who are left alive at his coming will be transformed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. That, for me, is Elijah, that's Enoch. It's all the aberrations that we think about. You know, Scripture must interpret Scripture on these things. It is appointed for man to die once and after that to face judgment. All right. So, anyway, I don't want to get caught up on side issues. The point is, even Enoch, even Elijah, needed a new body because the one they had was not fit for eternity. And here's the thing. Going back to my sermon a few weeks ago, it was was kind of funny when I was thinking about it, because I said something that wasn't written down in my notes, came out my mouth, and and Brooke said, can you say that again? And I was like, "Uh, what did I say? (laughs) Because it just came out. And I was like, what did I say? And I had to think about it. And my second version was like just a few words off. But fortunately, we had a recording so I could go back and listen. But here's the thing. Jesus demonstrates, and I'll repeat the phrase, Jesus demonstrates the truth of what he says about our our eternity by what he does in the present. This is what is behind everything about his preaching of the kingdom of God. It's why Jesus' ministry is accompanied with miracles constantly, continuously. Because what he says about our eternity is demonstrated here and now. He demonstrates the truth of who he is by what he does. That's why this message that we still have, that we still carry of salvation in Jesus Christ is accompanied by the power of God for, trans- for transformation, for healing, even for resurrection. Temporary though it may be, people come back to life in the name of Jesus. I pray that I might have that kind of faith. His preaching about the kingdom of God, it means that the reign of sin and death is broken. There's a new king on the throne. His reign has begun. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he must reign until all his enemies have been put under his feet. He's reigning now to accomplish that very thing. This this occurrence of many people coming back to life and going throughout the city of Jerusalem testifying is exactly that. The resurrection of Jesus can hardly do anything but be echoed amongst his people. It's extraordinary. It's not repeated anywhere. We do, We don't get any clear theology or teaching about it from any New Testament author, but it's a declaration, a visible declaration, resurrection has come. The power of his resurrection is at work. And I get excited by that thought. I have to stir myself up in this sometimes because we, it's like we just bleed faith, <laughs> you know. We need to keep feeding ourselves. I mean, just like our body. If you don't feed yourself, you die, Right. So we have to do that spiritually, like to encourage one another in these things. Paul talks about the resurrection and the power of the resurrection right from the opening words of Romans. You know, if the, the first of Paul's letters in our New Testament canon, it wasn't the first that he wrote but it's the first one, if, you, if we're going from, you know, Matthew through to Revelation, the first one we get, the first words of Paul that we hear that are his, that are not sort of secondhand via Luke. Um, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a very complex bit of Greek. You read different translations, you'll get some very different ways they put all that together, but it's essentially the same as what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus emptied himself in his humanity. He laid aside everything of his power and glory as part of the Godhead. He laid it aside, and yet as the Spirit of God moved in resurrection power. It declared him to be the son of God. And that is, in essence, the foundation of everything that we believe. It's everything of Christianity. Without a resurrection, there's no Christianity. Of course, the resurrection implies the rest as well. His sacrifice for us, his death, his suffering his preaching, all of that, but it culminates in him being resurrected, declared for all eternity, the Son of God in power. And so that resurrection power is now at work, is still at work in anyone who belongs to God, who has put their trust in Jesus. Later in Romans, Paul says, I'm, I'm going to skip a little, I'm going to move on so I don't talk for too long. In chapter 6, if we have been united with him, this is verse 5, in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Full Complete, eternal, lacking nothing. It has powerful implications for how we live today as Paul continues on in that same chapter. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. This is an entirely different way of living now. We can't just celebrate the resurrection and stay the same as we were. I can't be the same person living in sin if I actually believe this. It transforms my thinking. It transforms my decision-making. It transforms my responses. Verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Why? Because sin is not on the throne anymore. There's a new king. Sin doesn't reign. So that you obey its evil desires, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. It entirely changes my life. Because as he says in verse 14, I am no longer under law and judgment. I am under grace. I am under grace. It has implications not just for how I live, in terms of my choices and behavior and thinking. It transforms my actual life in this body. A little later, Romans 8, and I'll, I'll wrap up with this scripture. If Christ is in you, if Christ is in you, if he is in me, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, there is a stain upon this flesh. The Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Righteousness. Whose righteousness? His. I don't have to earn it. It's because I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. If Christ is in you, then that righteousness gives life through the Spirit. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. This might be my favorite, one of my favorite Easter scriptures right here. Because if he is risen from the dead, that same power is now at work in me, in you. We believe. That Jesus' resurrection has released this power. The moment his death occurred, power was released. It's like hell lost its grip. Satan lost his grip. Death that had held people in the ground, holy righteous people lost its grip and all these people came to life. And that continues. Every time someone says yes to Jesus, someone comes to life. But He heals as well. Physically, He heals emotionally, He heals our minds, gives us a new way of thinking, a new understanding, a new way of seeing. And I believe that. I believe that all of this is available because of His resurrection and His power. Yeah? And I just feel like it's always the most powerful response we can have is to testify. And so I'm going to encourage people, if you've got something to share, that you should testify now, just like those people who came to life and went through Jerusalem. We have a job now to testify to God's goodness. And also, if we have need, then the Spirit is here to meet us in our place of need. And so I want to offer that as well. Why don't we just begin by praying? Let's just lift up our hands to Him. Lord, we all acknowledge our need for You. But God, I know that for some of us here in this room, that need is acute. It's specific. That there is pain, sickness, different kinds of things that go on in our lives that we need you Lord we need you to bring healing to us and so we reach out to you Lord Jesus we reach out to you because we trust in you I pray Lord right now that healing would come would touch those who need it right now Thank you, God. Amen.